Simon knows. I thought that you had told him that to be helpful, you, he needed to just give this to you in private.
Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing? Seeing some thumbs up. That's good. Good to be with y'all. We had a nice week. If you want, stand up and we'll, we'll pray and welcome God and um, we'll praise your name. Father, we love you. We're here for you this morning. We give this time to you. Thank you for bringing us through our, our weeks from all different places. Here to this room this morning, God. Thank you for how you've worked in all our lives. I pray that uh, the more we grow, the more we see that, how you work in every little thing. And we praise you for that. Uh, you are a holy God, and that's why we worship you. So that's why we sing these words to you this morning. And we pray for Leonard as he uh, brings your word. And we pray for clarity of thought for what you've put on him to proclaim to us. I pray for us as we hear your word, that it sinks in and gets past our defense walls, and that we um, submit more to you today. We pray for everything happening in this building, all the seeds are being planted, tended, uh, the relationships that are growing together, and just uh, we pray for everything that happens here to be for you and your kingdom alone. So we give this time to you, we praise you, and lift, this, lift these songs up to you. Holy, holy is he. 
We sing a new song to him who sits on heaven's mercy seat.
sing that one more time, just the voices. Don't you guys just love that song? I hope you do, because I don't know if you realize this or not, but if you want to know where all of this is headed, there is an image in the book of Revelation that describes the ingathering of everyone who is called into the family of God, and definitely from the standpoint of God's heart, that is everyone. And as they're gathered, every people group, people from all over the planet, from all places on the timeline, are in this space. And guess what song they're singing? That one. That one. If you want to know where it's all headed, that's where it's headed, despite everything else. And I think that's why we gather here, isn't it? Because there's something inside of us that says, God has placed eternity in our hearts, and there is no satisfaction until we find that we are satisfied in our hearts with him. And I hope you can discover that today because his aim is to reclaim us and then to call us and in the process change us into the likeness of his son. And that's what he's doing. And so there's a lot of questions in your mind and, and mine as we gather for worship, not only where is it all headed, and last week we asked the question, what does the world need now? And as I'm just processing those two questions relative to the series that we've been doing in Luke, I'm also wondering about what is God doing inside of me and inside of you as Jesus helps us understand where it's all headed and what the world needs now, I think what he's trying to do is he's saying, the world needs me, and it is headed towards a throne where we are gathered around him, and in the process, I'm changing you so that you can be my messenger for the good news of the gospel. So that's kind of the 10 million foot view and as you and I gather um, and you wonder where it's all headed, uh, that's where we're going. So we're going to try to get there. So if you're on the struggle bus today, we'll try to help you out. If God's saying you need to be busted down a little bit and right-sized in your humanity, well, God will do that too. And in the process, what he's wanting to do is just help us to know him and to know the profound love that he has for us and that we should have for each other. So with that, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just um, have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message. Father, we are so grateful that as you take the substance of your word and you use that through time and space and thousands of years for us to hear again your voice, 
I pray, Father, for each person in the room that as you have called us into this space, you know exactly where we are at in life, and you know exactly what we need in this moment. And I know, Holy Spirit, that you are more than able to take all of the, the differences that we have within this room, all of the various kinds of struggles and joys and everything in between, and through your words, you express to us that thing we need to hear. So we are trusting you, Lord, to be able to do that and even more in this gathering place today. And I just pray for anyone here, Lord, that you are calling into your family, that the end result, maybe from this worship, hopefully so, but from that walking towards you, you will seal that covenant in lives that don't know you, but are longing to find answers and hopefully in the end trust you. Father, I pray for us as a church that we would embody all of the characteristics that people see when they read the Gospels and see Jesus. That there wouldn't be a huge gap between his life and, and ours together. That you would transform us into a people that have something to say for the times that we live in and have something to offer for what the world needs now. And so, Lord, we want to lift the message up to you, our worship time, and every heart and mind that is here. And as we just claim those things for your lordship, we ask, Father, that you help us to tune our hearts to you as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, well, we're just going to we're just going to get to work here, which is what I hear a lot at home. I have a project manager at home, and as you found out last week, we have a project manager here. And so wherever I go, there's somebody saying, hey, let's get to work. And that's not a bad thing to have that voice in the back of your life because uh, we all need direction. Scripture says we all like sheep have gone astray. Each has gone to his own way. Um, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's kind of a way of saying that Jesus is trying to redirect our lives around his purposes. And what a project manager does is they direct the lives of the people that they have under their stewardship so that things can be accomplished in the right way. And Jesus has kind of taken that mantle on where he's looking at the people that have said, we want to follow you, and he's discovering what their fit is for the role and the responsibility that they'll have in his kingdom, and we're all different, and he took 12 people from uh, various uh, places on the social landscape, and he said, you have giftings, you have abilities, you have strengths, you have weaknesses, and I'm going to go to work in all of those things so that we can accomplish a whole lot. And as Jesus is expanding on that a little bit, um, the scripture tells us as we're going through Luke 
that he's gathering more and more people for this big project. And the project is nothing less than trying to take the reality of heaven that we have just now prayed for, that as it is in heaven, may it be so on earth. Trying to make the characteristics what they need to be so that God's purposes can be brought back into order. And as God is using his son to accomplish that, his son is constantly looking to the father and saying, lead me, guide me, help me, and direct me. And you probably don't think of Jesus that way as somebody who needs somebody or is asking for another source for power and help. But essentially, that's how he does it. And as he's looking at the people that are saying, yes, Jesus, he wants them to realize that they have to lean on the Father and depend on the Father, trust the Father, and find power from the Father. So I'm going to read the scripture because there's one person in particular that we're looking at today that has this sense of, don't know if I need that. And so here we go in Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through uh, uh, 30. It says this. And a ruler asked him, and let me just qualify this for a second. Do you know what he means by ruler? Some of you may say, yeah, you just triggered me because I got smacked by one in school. Not that ruler. Maybe you're thinking of a person who's a king that governs over a, uh, a kingdom or a, a body of people. Getting close, the fact is the ruler is the synagogue ruler. If, if you were to look at perhaps my role, which is loosely connected to this, uh, there is a person who sort of is spiritually in charge of the well-being and the teaching and the instruction of the lives of the people that gather in the synagogue. And this guy in this role, well, he had a imp pretty important place in the social landscape. And so he's called a ruler. And if you had a problem, you would say, hey, Rabbi, can you tell me how to X, Y, or Z? Any kind of difficulty that you had in your relationship with other people, in your relationship with God. And in a lot of ways, it went even beyond that into how you related your faith and your life to everything in the world. This guy had the authority to weigh in on it. This is before YouTube, okay? I know a lot of you guys, you say, I need to do something. I need to find out something. What do you do? YouTube University. Anybody ever go to YouTube University? few of you, okay? My guess is at one point or another, you'll have a big question in your life, and you'll say, how do I do this? Or somebody show me the way. And I found YouTube University is just it's a click away. But they didn't have that. They had a guy who was, if I could just say this, the most important human being in their community, the rabbi. No lie. He was it. And you get a picture here of him coming to the synagogue. If, he were, if this were the 21st century, he would be driving to the synagogue probably in a Range Rover or perhaps a Maserati. But it would be clear that he is well-supplied. He is well-resourced. And 
you know, he enjoyed the fact. I mean, I like driving a Dodge Challenger. Don't get me wrong. You're like, oh, no, you're going to bring that into the sermon again. But it's just a working class man's muscle car. I mean, it's not a Lamborghini or anything like that. It's just a car that's fun for poor people like me. But this guy, he wouldn't have it. He would have the best. So he's driving to church in this car, and um, every day is a good day for him. Partly because the home that he grew up in, well, it was a healthy environment. Parents enabled him. And then the connections that he had as he grew up, they also sort of greased the wheels so that he could get the instruction that he needed, the resources that he needed. And some of them even took him aside and said, how can we teach you how to do business? And I'm not kidding you. This is, this is, this is really the profile. And I remember one time going to a Messianic synagogue in um, St. Louis as kind of a, a way of studying Hebrew class and learning about Jewish culture. And we met the rabbi who was, in a sense, the, the ruler of the synagogue. And what fascinated me about learning about this individual was he not only, you know, was theologically grounded, but he said, but I'm also, apart from being here in the synagogue, I'm, I'm in real estate in West County. If you know West County of St. Louis and you say real estate, you know that this guy, he's got game across the board. And essentially, that's this guy. Now, I'm not trying to judge my friend I met in St. Louis, but this guy here is asking a good question. Who is this Jesus? Because even though I have all this status and all of this prestige and all of this power over people, there's something about Jesus that um, I, I, I got to latch on to. So he goes up to him and he says this question. Now, remember something. As he's Asking this question, Jesus just did something last week. Do you remember what the verses were preceding this one? I'm going to have Melissa just jump ahead to uh, those verses from Luke 18, 17, uh, 16 and 17. Do you remember these? But Jesus called to him saying, let the children come to me and don't hinder them. For such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, receive it like a child, he, he won't enter it. And we didn't get a lot of time to explore that. But in a second, we'll have another look. But I just want to jump back to that. Just keep that in mind. That's kind of a data point here. Because the ruler is going up to Jesus and saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the ruler said, all these I've done since a little kid. I've had a good home, they've taught me how to do this, and I feel like my life is where it needs to be. And Jesus knows all of that about this guy. And the thing about Jesus, that I, I don't want to scare you, but I want to tell you something. He can read each of us like a book. He knows our pattern better than we know our pattern. 
He knows where our heart is, and he knows what we need to hear. And sometimes when he approaches us, he's saying, I know you've been beaten down. I've heard your prayers, and I know your struggle. And I know the thing that you're struggling with, even in, 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 in quiet and silent desperation. And then there's others of us, he says, we got to rewrite size your humanity again. We got to bust you down a little bit because you're starting to get untethered. You're starting to go places that you shouldn't go in your life that are not really according to my creational design for you. And as Jesus is looking at each of us in the modern day time, he's looking at this guy and he's saying, here's what you need to hear. Because I have a hunch that you feel like you have it all locked down. You've got the car, you've got the status, you've got the position with people in your community. Life is good, you're at the top of the food chain. And you're a God-fearer, so what more could you ask for? But there's a little tiny question that we're gonna hit here in just a second. And that question has to do with the fact that he's far away from the kingdom in reality by Jesus' measure. And sometimes Jesus says, you're far away too. And so he asks a question or he gives a directive that just kind of hits it right on the bullseye in your heart and mine. And it says this, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, well, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and then you'll have a treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, you may be reading these verses thinking, well, does that mean Jesus is telling all of us to sell all we have? I don't really believe so. The problem really was how he related to all that he had. That place of attachment that it had in his heart that said this is actually more important than everything else. And if you sang that song a minute ago, you'll discover that the number one priority is us magnifying the Lord in our lives and our heart and together. But we'll back down to the moment. As he's looking at this guy, he knows that here's a man who's doing all the right things, saying all the right things, checking all the boxes in the right way. there's one thing that he's hiding and that is he's loving his life he's loving the status he's loving the power and he's loving the authority that he's been given to tell people how it is not a bad place to be how many of you like to be bossed around by other people anybody anybody ever say as a little kid somebody bossing you around hey you're not the boss of me you ever hear that, ver that, that phrase? I don't know how it gets passed around, but somehow it makes it from community to community, uh, like a, with, even without the internet. It just seemed to show up everywhere you go. You're a teacher. You know, don't you? You're not the boss of me. Why do we say that? You're not the boss of me. Because we like to be our own boss, don't we? I do. I'll admit it. But then that's kind of the problem. 
going all the way back to the beginning. If you're a boss, if you're a project manager, whatever it is, but you're not following the lead of the one who is ultimately carrying the vision for what you're supposed to be and do, then you're a boss that's gone rogue. Now, if you tell a kid who says, you're not the boss of me, okay, you're your own boss, you do what you want. You ever do that? Just say, hey, do what you want. I see you out there playing in the road, just do what you want. I see you out there playing with the car and the keys are in it and you're starting it up and backing it up and moving it forward and you're only five years old. Hey, do what you want. And that's essentially what Jesus is up against here. Because here is a guy who does what he wants. I mean, he's got everything moving in his direction. And in his mind, he's even thinking, I can pick and choose the scriptures the way I want to pick and choose them. And it's good. And Jesus calls him out. And he says, you can do what you want. You have the power to do what you want. You have the greatness to do what you want. But the only way it works is if the power and the greatness are connected to God first. And I'm just going to delve into that a little bit because let's just take that word greatness because this guy was definitely great. How do you define greatness? Well, we all know that a great person is at the top of the food chain. They're powerful. They're the master. You know, think of Michael Jordan playing basketball, or if that's inflammatory, you know, pick your favorite basketball player. That's the greatest of all time. The ruler, the adult, the idea of greatness is you are in power over other people, and people look at you, and they say, you are great. Now, teachers have also had another experience with greatness where a parent or somebody in their family has said, that kid is great. That kid is awesome. And that kid's heard it over and over and over again to the point where when they go into the classroom, they feel like they're above the rules. They feel like they're the exception. And one of the challenges of a teacher is we got to bust you down to right-size your humanity so you fit in around here. And Jesus is looking at this guy, and he's saying, friend, I hate to tell you this, but you don't fit. You don't fit because in your own mind, you're great by your own measure. And maybe he's kind of fishing to find validation by having Jesus say, hey, you know what? You're great. I've done all of these things. Put me, like, on your team and put me in charge of some people. And Jesus for whatever reason, in his mind, isn't following the script. But rather, he's talking about my resources, my wealth. And it was actually a common thought in his day that if you had wealth, that meant that you were living right and you were blessed by God. I mean, true story. It's all over literature that is around that time that a lot of people just took that as a premise. If I am blessed, if I am healthy, If I am basically thriving as a human being, it means I'm living right. And there's a lot of truth to that. Don't get me wrong. That's why it kind of got caught up. And some of you maybe even come to church and say, you know what? I need to get my life right. I need to get my life in order so that I can thrive. 
And I can assure you, if you do, he will help you be in that space. I mean, I can tell you as a sidebar, I'm in this space because at, at 19, I'm thinking, I've sampled everything that the world has to offer, and I'm coming up empty. And I need a lot of things, turning to God, then the church, and then the community of people that are loving, and I find out that, hey, you know what? They don't think I'm an idiot. They don't think that I'm of no value. They think I'm, I don't know, I'm important. And they listen, spend time, influence, direct, guide. And I can honestly tell you, if I have any blessings in my life, it's because God has been the source of each and every one of them. All that to say, though, my sense of personal wealth, whatever that is, by whatever measure that is, it isn't because I'm a perfect human being, but rather it's because I'm connected to Jesus. And this is what Jesus is trying to show them. Who's great? Who's good? It's a question that comes up. Jesus wants to turn greatness upside down. For him, greatness equals, well, people at the bottom, the powerless servant, last commoner, child. That doesn't make any sense, Jesus. Those are nobodies. And as Jesus is just showing us, I'm for the nobodies more than you know. We try to figure that out because it clearly is upside down from the way that we were taught. A minute ago, Jesus, well, he looked at kids. And if you remember last week, kids and their culture are property. They can be discarded. Matter of fact, if you discarded them as property... I can assure you the only people that would gather them up and foster them, if you want to use that word, would be to exploit them. And so they really were not valued, partly because a lot of kids didn't grow to maturity before they died. Part of it was some of the thinking was kids are animals until you shape them into responsible human, adult human beings. And so there really was a sense of children aren't worth much until they start to show that they're, they're worthy. And it's a completely different attitude towards children now, but Jesus wanted to capture something here by pointing out the nobodies of the world and looking carefully at their response to the world around them. And this is what he wanted to bring out a minute ago as we talked about this last week. This about children. Children rank low in status and power, no question. They make few social distinctions. That is, children, they don't care if you're black or white or Hispanic. There's another kid in the room, and we're going to play. I even had that experience last week. I had a pastor come who drives a bus for Youngstown Schools. He said to Brittany, can I just stay in your, in your church and, and work for a little while? And, and, you know, we're like, absolutely, it's open for people to use. So I'm going to lunch, and I stop by, and I see him, and I'm like, I don't know, that kid on the playground thing came over me. Like, there's another kid. So I go in there, and I want to say hi. 
And then four hours later and lunch, I say goodbye. And it was like we were playing the whole time. Now I was working. Okay, I earned my money. I, I, I had any value for service, that sort of thing. But there is something about just that childhood longing to just reconnect with people in a way that isn't differentiating itself. It's just another human being. And, and in a sense, we just kind of played. Kids are like that. And they have learned, they haven't learned to play by adult social rules. There are things you do and there are things you don't do. My parents told me this whenever we went in public a number of times. Hey, you don't do that when you go in public. Huh? What? They never said, hey, little savage, we're going we're gonna to make you stay at home in the closet. They just said, the world out there expects you to behave a certain way. And you learn. You learn the rules, don't you? But a kid says, I don't know anything about that. And then they befriend strangers without fear. They have no sense of bureaucratic structures and hierarchies. If you were to go to um, a six-year-old and say, hey, where are you at in the bureaucratic structure and hierarchy? What do you think that six-year-old would say? Well, according to the organizational chart, I think I'm right here. No, they would say, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's the point. Jesus is saying these kids are in a space where when they look at the world around them, it's not cluttered by all these filters where they can't even see anymore what God is doing. And the rich young ruler was that kid who became an adult who now is adulting in ways that he's very successful, but he's forgot how to look at God and hear the voice of God because he is so jammed up with the way the world has said, this is how you're supposed to live. Has anybody ever been punched in the gut? All right, you know. Comes out of nowhere, doesn't it? And what do you do? You double over, and you're like, what did you do that for? All the wind is sucked out of you, and you don't forget it, do you? Getting back to our scripture, the rich young ruler just got a big punch in the gut. And it was humiliating. Because I don't know that this guy has been called out very much. He's been pretty successful. He's got a name. He's got connections. He's spiritual. I mean, he's got all kinds of social authority. You don't really want to go toe-to-toe with him. So probably most people don't. Except Jesus, who could really care less. And it's not that Jesus is saying, I want to win this fight He's saying, I want to win you for God. And sometimes i got to wake you up in order for you to see through all the clutter and all the noise and all the filters that if you just get a moment of clarity here, it is simply about you being reconnected to him. And all that stuff that you're after, status, and power, and wealth, and security. God is your source. Now, Jesus has something in the air here that I I think you and I got to pay attention to. 
And this really is the big question. If I need something done, and this is the dependency slide, if I need something done, or if I need to change something, who do I first to look to to make it happen? And this is a big question, because we all want to be our own boss. We all want to make it happen the way we want to make it happen. And this guy was no exception. And the reason why Jesus said this is breaking down is you're not dependent on God. You're not dependent on anything except the things that you have positioned yourself, positioned in your life to provide for those needs. You don't seem to need God. Matter of fact, it seems like you need those things worse than you need him. Matter of fact, why don't you sell all those things and depend on him? And he's like, I think you've gone too far. Good day, sir. But that really is the question. Is there something that you depend on more than God for your needs, for your validation, for your status, for whatever power you lack in your life? Is there some other place you go to meet that? Because Jesus is saying you're going someplace else to meet a deep need in your life and I just called you out. And I'll tell you what, Jesus, the ruler is no exception here. He will do it to you and I time and time and time again. Every day, in some way, he will ask the question, are you depending on me or are you depending on someone or something else, including yourself? One of the things I've learned in being a pastor is if I want to make something happen, I got to start with prayer. And Jesus conditions us over time to begin to process things accordingly. And he says, um, he says it in a way that I, I feel like um, clarifies it a little bit. So uh, if we could just go back to the scripture where we left off. For when he heard these things, he, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, Then, then, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. I'm going to stop right there for a second because Jesus is trying to make a point here about dependency. And this guy is saying, I like posturing towards other people that I'm a, I'm a spiritual guy. I use a lot of Christianese when I go out. And um, I let people know, me and the Lord, we're tight. And this guy 
I mean, he was really having a moment as a young person. And we don't know how it unfolded as far as him reordering the furniture of his priorities. But we, we do know this. Jesus kind of makes a spectacle out of him. Something that's probably never happened to him, to be honest with you, in that way. Where he is around a crowd of people, and socially he's being called out and embarrassed and told that he's not going to make it. That's pretty harsh. But Jesus isn't saying, hey, you know what? You got to stop smoking and chewing and going out with girls that do that stuff. He's saying, no. Your heart is not postured in the right way. You're going to the wrong places for sourcing the things that provide power in your life. You're dependent on everything truly but God. That's the problem. And that's the problem that you and I have to face every day. Do we think of that one thing you brought into this room, that one thing that is your burden, that one thing that is your challenge, that one thing that is the hellscape that you're walking in, and ask the question, did I bring it to God? Did I bring it to God? And some of you have. And God is saying, I hear loud and clear, and I'm here to help you. And there's a timeline on this that you may not quite get yet, but trust me. I will work with you, for you, through you, in this. And I can tell you that as a pastor, I can't think of one thing that I've prayed about that I haven't had the patience to follow over time that I haven't seen God resolve. I just haven't in one form or another. Oftentimes, with the, with, with the thought in the back of my mind, God, you're not the boss of me. I'll do what I want. If I want to include you, I'll include you. And if I don't want to include you, I, well, you get the point. And God's saying, I'm the source for everything, including the pain you brought into this room, including that thing that you could never in your own mind do the math for and say, I can't do it, they can't do it, we can't do it, the world has YouTube can't do it. How can I get this done? Obviously, I can't. Except what? Except one thing. What is impossible for men is possible with God. I don't know what you brought into this room, but maybe you need to underscore that right on a post-it. Stick it in your shirt pocket and trust it. This guy, man, he checked all the world boxes. And Jesus said, it is not enough to carry you. You're not going to make it. Because the things sourced in this world, including your life and mine, Whatever we have in terms of meaning and relationships in this world, whatever we have constructed in this world, the sources from this world, they cannot save us. They do not have the answers for us. That's why Jesus had to come into the world and bring what the world was not capable of providing. Do you trust that? And Peter said, we do. We do. Look, we've left our homes and continue on. 
um, next, and followed you. And he said to them, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left a house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age um, to come, eternal life. Now, if you're new to the faith and you read this stuff, on the surface, it sounds weird. Like, Jesus is saying, basically, I got I to gotta just sever ties with my attachments to my mother and father and husband and children and family. Guess they don't count for nothing. But Jesus isn't saying that. He's saying, prioritize God first in those spaces and guess what? You will be blessed. But it won't be because of you. It'll be because you are connected to God. And you need to capture that because it is essential for us to define our lives in that way. Jesus said in John 12, 49, for I haven't spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, and he's, he's told me what to say and what to speak. And in other parts of John, uh, John kind of underscores this dependency that Jesus has. Jesus says, I, I can't do anything without first getting authorized by the Father. He doesn't make a move without consulting with the Father in some form. And I, I love what Leonard, or Donald Craybill said in the Upside Down Kingdom. He said, Jesus underscores that he's a steward of God's authority. Isn't that weird? We think of Jesus as, well, you know what? He's got all the power and all that stuff. But the way that he came and the design that he had was, I am a human being 2.0, and I'm trying to show you how you actually do it as a human being because back in the garden it got lost. And so he's saying, I'm just a steward of God's authority. I'm a responsible party here with this authority, and he's looking to me as a faithful and capable person to manage that authority that, he ha that I have over what's been given. Essentially, it's like the power of eternity. He can speak on God's behalf. And that's how he postured and positioned himself. He wanted to show us that all the works that he's done, all of the encounters that he had, all of the challenges that he faced, he's constantly talking to the Father. Father, help me. He's constantly praying. And then you have a rich young ruler who says, um, I'm over these people. I've got my own authority. And the fact of the matter is, he's one of those churches where it's all about them. And, you know, I've seen that in my career as a pastor. People will say, we go to that church because of that person. And it's not that that's a bad thing. But it's, they go there because that person sort of is the, is the, he's the reason why I'm there. And it's a, a kind of weight of authority that says I'm pointing back to myself. But Jesus is saying, um, that's not how it works. It's not a personality-centric thing. And you and I, when we are given responsibilities, stewardship, and authority, we constantly got to ask the question, God, 
What are you calling me to do? What are you enabling me to do? And then if you do, you will give me what I need to accomplish what I need to accomplish. You know, I'm, I'm going to bring up Amy real quickly because Amy is called to our church. I believe that. Called by God, called by the, um, the elders, called by the team, and I, and I feel that's validated by the staff. And she's going to run into challenges along the way like all of us have. And the thing that I would say time and time again to her as I would say to Brittany or Brian, myself, you, the elders, everyone in the church, if God has called you into his family, into service, into using your gifts, into doing the impossible, God will give you what you need to do it. He will give you what you need to do it. You got to trust him because he's not going to say, I've called you, now you figure it out on your own. You know the funny thing about this? Amy's kind of back there laughing, and God's up there gloating. Because I can't tell you the number of times I've tried to do my job on my own. And I can't tell you the number of times that I've fallen flat on my face as I try to do my job on my own. And the only reason God said, I need to show you this, unless you're getting tired of having egg on your face, nose bloodied, gut punched, all those things, just trust me. Trust me. And I'll help you. Well, there's part of me that says to God, you're not the boss of me. And there's another bigger part of me that says, I need to hear what you have to say. And that's what I need to do. How long has it taken God to get me in that place? A good while. But I can tell you, the more I unfilter the world, the more I delayer the noise, the more I hear this, the more I see it. And Jesus is looking at this ruler and he's saying, if you need to get something done, how do you get that done? Who is the ultimate make it happener in your world? Notice how tiny I wrote that? Because how many times do we go to do something and we don't first ask God, invite him in? Just think about maybe in the course of the day. Here's your homework. Next week, when you go to do something, anything, when you go to make something happen, or when you go to change something, just put a, a tally. I ask God to help me here. I ask God to help me here. I ask God to help me here. I ask God to lead me here. I ask God to show me the way here. And find out how many times you do it. Because the little question that we don't really pay much attention to is, who am I really depending on? Who is the ultimate make it happener here? And before I met the Lord, pretty much thought I was. And after I met him, he said, no, you're not. And I said, yes, I am. No, you're not. Yes, I am. And we're still having that back and forth a little bit. But it's more like, no, you're not. And he's like, 
what do you need to make it happen? For the synagogue, for the synagogue ruler, he said, I need information, so I'm trained theologically. I need money, so I got a side hustle and it's going well. I need positions so that I can be an authority over people. And uh, believe it or not, I got that. And I sit on a lot of boards and I do all this stuff. Got that. And of course, we all know you can't do anything in life without other people saying, hey, we're for you. If I were to hire a CEO of a company, I would ask the question, what do you know? Can you bring the money? Can you exercise authority? Who are you connected to? Because we got to make this thing work, and we need you to help us make it happen. And the good CEO says, got all that stuff. And the flim-flammer says, I got all that stuff, but when it comes time, well, he's moving off to the next, dusting off his resume. That was this guy. He had the power to make things happen. But what is Jesus trying to show us? If you need information, I'm embodying everything you need to know about God. Just read the Gospels and you'll see God, the most important information of all. If you need money, pray for your daily bread. And God will provide that resource that money accomplishes. And, of course, that's a whole other sermon. If you need position... And you wake up every day and you say, my parents told me I was worthless and I've gone through life fighting that script my whole life. Or other people in my life have put me down by comparison or maybe I don't measure up. And God says, you may be discounted by the world. You may not be validated the way you'd like to be validated by the world. But God says, you are my child. You're made in my image. You're beautiful. I don't know. I mean, for me, it's like, who else would you want to hear? And if you need connections, the ruler thought, I got connections, but I'm talking about saving my soul here, so I'm doing all the right things. I'm checking all the right boxes. I'm a good person. And Jesus says, unless you're connected to the Father, which you don't seem to be very well, it's going nowhere. See, our faith really isn't about performance. If you perform any in your faith, it's just a response to say, hey, God's at work in me. But I'm not trying to showcase this for validation. I'm trying to do it because I'm grateful. And there's so much about the rich young ruler that gets it seemingly so right, but is so wrong because it lacks dependency on God as we go through life. And you're going through life right now, and some of you have kind of answered this question, I believe, and you recognize I've been through some pretty mysterious and dark times and troubling times with the Lord, but he's always been faithful, and here I am back, and I've got questions, but I know that God is good. God is good. And Jesus says there really is no other source of goodness apart from him. He's not saying he's bad. He's just saying there's no goodness unless that goodness is derived from God. It's a fake goodness. It's a goodness that won't hold the day. It's a goodness that postures in front of people and says, hey, look at me. And so God says, just throw that away. 
and just stay connected and listen and let me be the voice of authority and you be a steward for the kingdom. That really is the goal here, guys. And if you have gathered with us and you're thinking about, hey, you know what? I want to I wanna get closer to Jesus. Hopefully he's spoken to you today because he's beckoning you. He wants you in a relationship with him. And he wants you to know that no matter what you bring into this place, your baggage, your history, your struggle, the thing that we can't talk about, he's saying, I am for you. My grace is sufficient. I want you in my family. And we want you and his family with us. And some of you are saying, I just need to know how it is that I take the next steps. And it may be through a personal struggle that you're dealing with, and maybe we can help you out with that one-on-one. It may be that I've got dependency on God just fine, but now I need to learn to serve a little bit. And God is saying, I want you to do this. So maybe God's put something on your heart regarding service, and we want to help you with that, because I don't think there's a person in the room who God says, now you're exempt. And it's not that God's saying, I'm recruiting people because I have a job to do. No, he's saying more than that. He's saying, I want you to be a part of this because it is the greatest joy in the world to, take, to, to be a part of it. And so I don't know where you're at. Disconnected from him, disconnected from a community of people that hopefully you can, you can trust to varying degrees as you get to know us, hopefully, hopefully more. Or a place where you say, I'm in 100% God. I know it's not about me. I know I depend on you. Help me to serve you. We're getting ready to uh, be led to the table by Jason. And it really is a time where we ask the question of God a lot of things. One of them could very well be, God, in this moment, in this season, what would you have me do? Where would you have me go? Who would you have me connect with? And I think as we honor this covenant, God will give you an answer as you meet him at the table. Jason, would you lead us? I think uh, we all can relate to the the rich ruler at times in our own lives. And I, I, as Leonard told the story, I was thinking of, you know, as the ruler gets the reaction from, or reacts to what Jesus had said to him, I think we all could relate and you know, we start to get our, our heart starts to pound a little bit, our hands get a little clammy and we get a little nervous and like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. I, I, it's it's hard, and you know we we all come accustomed to things, and we don't want to give those things up, and and we try to think of how we could live life in a different way, and we just we don't want to let go. But to circle back to the to what Leonard said at his, the end of his sermon, God doesn't call the qualified; God qualifies the call. And it's up to us to let go of a lot of those things that we think we need, but we really don't. We, what we, all we really need is depend on God. And I think if when we all 
learn to trust in God and let him lead us and give up those things that we think we need and we really don't, that's when we truly learn how to, to live life here on earth and prepare us in a way to, for our, our life in heaven together. And so thanks, Leonard, for, for that. Uh, um, but at this time, you know, this is when we, we, we celebrate uh, Jesus Christ and his, his death on the cross. And as we sit in, sit in the pews and, and we think of the sacrifice that he made for us, just uh, I want to ask a blessing upon the, the cup and the loaf as these, the elements that he gave us to remember his, his death and his sacrifice. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this time that you've given us here together today. We thank you for the message that we've, we've received. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to, to trust in you and to let go of the things that are holding us back. Uh, I ask your blessing upon this cup and this loaf. In your son's name, amen. That's it. We're done. You can go home. We'll pray and then ask God to bless us. Lord Jesus, as we leave this space, you have spoken to each of our hearts. May that just continue to echo through the course of the week. Your presence, your authority, but also your posture towards us that makes us want to come back to your presence all through the day. So Father, help us to rediscover that if we've lost it. 
And if we have that sense, help us to keep it. And Lord, I just ask that your grace and peace and blessing would be upon each person here and each gathering online and that the shalom of, of peace would define everything that they do as you define our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If uh, you need to talk about anything or prayer, I'll be in the studio right next door. I'm so happy to, to be of help however I can with anybody and just thank you for joining us.